I've always wondered to myself, why is it not socially acceptable for most of us to still be using a phone from 20 years ago? You know, even though people miss the Nokia 3310 and you see a lot of memes about it on the internet and also it's not socially acceptable for us to still be using a car from 20 years ago unless it's one of those vintage cars but for some reason the same attitude towards this is not applicable to medical technology and this is something that has really kind of bothered me for a while because I work in medtech and I love medtech but it seems to be that we always sluggishly crawling behind all the other tags and this is one of the things we're going to be talking about today and i've found three reasons as to why this is happening in medtech and it will help you understand the differences between other tech and medtech as well this episode should possibly give us that explanation as to why it's acceptable for us to be walking into a hospital, seeing a machine that's 20 years old and still working. But I guess, you know, as most engineers like to say, if it's not broken, then don't fix it. But surely an update would be nice to that device that we all use and we sort of trust our health with. So this is one of the things we're going to be looking into today. Welcome to MedTech 101, a podcast where we discuss matters around medical technology and pharmaceutical drugs in a way that almost anyone can understand. My name is Rodney Moses. I'm a biomedical engineer who has a published patent for a medical device that's going to help the lives of thousands of chemotherapy patients. I've spent my entire working career in research and development for medical technology, working on cool devices that are still yet to hit the market orthopedic implants, and the classics such as asthma inhalers. I've worked for one of the biggest med tech companies in the world, Johnson & Johnson, among several others. If you'd like to reach out on LinkedIn or on Instagram or any of the other social media platforms, please look at the description below. That's where the links are. And yeah, so getting straight to it then. And after a bit of time thinking about this observation that I made in MedTech, I came up with three reasons as to why this is happening in MedTech. Why are we walking slowly towards advancements in comparison to other techs? So number one being the impact of mergers and acquisitions on research and development in companies. How is this happening? We'll talk about it. Number two, the impact of regulatory affairs. And number three, which is really important, the human aspect. Number one, the impact of mergers and acquisitions on research and development in medical tech companies. So, in 2022, the global medtech industry made a combined revenue of 
500 billion US dollars roughly and the 10 biggest companies in medtech roughly made up 40% of that revenue and I know it's really tempting for people to try call this an oligopoly but I just want to call it the Pareto effect or the Pareto principle which was named after Wilfred Pareto after he popularized the idea from his observations in Italy. In Italy he noticed that 80% of the country's wealth belonged to 20% of the country's population. And the funny thing is that this principle only didn't exist in Italy, but it started showing itself in different aspects of of the world in different industries, different markets, anywhere where there's creativity, even in music, you know, where 80% of all sales are coming from just 20% of the musicians, for instance. But when you actually look at who created this idea, this was already referenced in the Bible, not to sound like a priest here, but if you look at Matthew chapter 25, verse 29, you see there for yourself. <laughs> but Anyways, let's get back to the impact of M&As, which is what I'm going to be calling mergers and acquisitions so that I don't have to say the full terminology all the time. So every time I say M&A, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So in the medical device sector last year, there were 889 M&A deals that were worth about 93 billion US dollars, which was actually a drop from the year before by 60%. So the reason why we're talking about this is because mergers and acquisitions are quite a popular way of growing a company in medical technology. Most companies acquire other companies to buy the technology and then they go forward. But in last year's deals, about 22 of those deals were worth 1 billion or above. And this is the general preferred way of growth in medtech and big companies generally prefer this because you're buying technology that's already proven to work technology that already has market approval so it means it saves you all the time you have to you know try get that product to market and also you're also buying new technology from the new company that's going to be integrated with whatever you're currently working on and this increases efficiency in the company you know the economics of scale makes the company bigger so it makes it in theory more efficient and this also helps you get a bigger chunk of the market share so especially if you're in the same industry and i personally have been there when we acquired well i'm saying we but the company i was working for acquired you know, several companies in that year and everyone was excited. Everyone was um, feeling this was a good deal because we were getting new technology and eventually we're going to integrate with our own technology. However, there's also the other side to it, which you're going to be touching on regarding this matter. And I bumped into this interesting research paper, which basically said M&As between partners that have complementary technologies result in more active research and development after that has happened. However, when the two companies that are being part of the M&A have substitutive technologies, the impact on research and development after that deal is negative. And the best example to give is when Apple bought Beats by Dr. Dre. And this is kind of complementary technology because you've got a phone here that's got all your music on it. 
But at the same time, you're going to need headsets to wear to listen to that music. So that was a good deal. After that deal, we ended up having AirPods and all this new technology that's coming from Apple. Whether that deal bought the technology from Beats by Dr. Dre and that technology was inputted into this AirPods Pro we use, that's a discussion for another time. But imagine if there was a merger and acquisition between two companies that are basically competing with each other. Let's say if Samsung and Apple combined together. Imagine how much stuff is going to be substituted there. It means that in the markets, R&D is definitely going to go down because now there's something that Apple has that Android has and some of those features will have to die or to be put on ice because what happens when a company is acquired by another company, the autonomy is gone because now this smaller company that's been bought up by this huge company now has to report to a new board of directors and so forth. So what happens is sometimes if this new company was working on some new technology that was probably going to be on the market maybe in 10 years time those new technologies tend to be just put on hold and the big company or the parent company acquiring this small company tends to want to run with the winners and what i mean by running with the winners is the particular products that usually got that company acquired in the first place and this is usually like that company's best-selling product that's been proven to work so as i said last year there were 889 deals so imagine this is happening in 889 companies this means basically that the impact of the the mna deal is huge when it comes to r&d and the product availability on market and usually for the big companies they tend to prefer this way of growth but the issue then that sometimes happens on R&D is you got this big corporation that has bought up this sort of like 50 companies over a period of 10 to 15 years and the company's R&Ds aren't really gelling together so this creates a stagnation in terms of technological advancement in the industry because what you have is like a team of football stars but they're not gelled together so it means that there's less outcome happening however on paper the company will still say they're growing and it's true they're growing in terms of of profit they're making year to year because they're just buying these new companies and that's adding up to that revenue however this is coming at the cost of the customers or of the markets in terms of product availability because yes the big companies will always make money but there's less product on the market than they should be for the people and this is justified because most investors are not willing to wait for three to seven years for that product to get to the market and bear in mind it's three to seven years that it takes on average in the usa for a product to reach the market so what ends up happening is you have a market of these big pharmaceutical or big meta companies who are like sluggering giants they're kind of slow you know but if they were to strike and make a hit it would be a haymaker so just like the covid vaccine we saw how they were able to just combine the resources and produce a product in such a short time this could then be used to set the pretense that this is how we're going to be working from now and we work towards that it means that the smaller companies who are getting acquired by the big companies need to make sure that the r&d they have is also going to be justified or it's going to be sustained in a way that market doesn't suffer and i don't really want to sound selfish here because i understand that the 
entrepreneur who started the company and drove the product until it was market approved, which is slightly touching on the second point we're going to be talking about shortly. But because that process takes so long to get the product onto the market, it can be so tempting when a big company shows up at your door and they say, okay, listen, we want to buy this company for half a billion or like some of those 22 deals that happened last year for over a billion. So sometimes it's tempting to take that cash out or to take that payday and just forget about everything. But to really advance MedTech, one thing I'll just ask is if you're planning to sell a company or if you're planning to acquire another company, it's in the best interest of MedTech if you look at the R&D that they're working on, the small devices or the things, the R&D that's still at the early stages. Because in the long run, that will basically make a huge difference to the market and to the tech we have available. And hopefully this will help us introduce more products on the market and then looking at point number two, we're going to be talking about today, regulatory affairs. I mean, one of the tests that medical devices have to go through is called stability testing. And stability testing can take quite a long time. Some of them take three years, some of them take five years. And the point of this test is to basically see how the machine or the medical device will age once it's out there in the real world. And I understand there is countries that don't accept what are called accelerated stability tests where medical devices are basically put into huge ovens because the heat is supposed to sort of like simulate how it would age in real life but some countries don't accept that and remember we spoke about how some medical devices can take three to seven years to get market approval in the u.s well you're not guaranteed to get that all the time because some medical devices can take as long as 12 years before they get approved and meaning that the medical devices that are going through the normal market approval in the u.s cost about over 90 million dollars on average so obviously the cost is high so therefore it means that if there's a product that's already existing on the market companies are just eager to keep the same design of that product without doing too much changes to it otherwise they would have to start again this whole process and what usually happens is when you are trying to get approval for a medical device there's usually a back and forth sort of like emails or unconstructive debates that happen between the regulatory affairs people and the companies and sometimes this is mostly because that the regulatory guys can't keep up with the rate of development that's happening in tech, particularly medtech. Auditors who are not up to working knowledge of these new technologies are the ones who find themselves having to approve this technology. So this creates a bit of miscommunication sometimes and this is basically delaying the products getting to market because even the regulatory standards which they reference also can keep up with the technology because there's because there's new technology that's being introduced time and time again like nanotechnology gene editing and now there's even issues with the software because now software is also classified as a medical device and obviously the market grew by about 150 billion in the last five years so there's huge quantities of medical devices that are being filed in for patents that are being handed 
over to these regulatory affairs and this issue of them not being up to date back and forth and all these requirements basically creates a bottleneck in the pathway to market for this medical device and additionally the regulatory standards and systems are very vulnerable to external political factors for instance like brexit just happened and this created enormous pressure on companies to meet the tight transition periods that were in between these two dates for them to get approval as I've mentioned before, I don't really blame them because if they don't do that, the cost of being wrong is very high. The cost of being wrong is human life that's affected. But I know that there's a fast track system that can be used and half the time, most companies try to use that. The recent pandemic showed that it's possible for medical devices to reach the market faster. Not to be jealous or anything, but I know the aerospace industry is heavily regulated as well maybe even equally as regulated as the medical device industry but the rate at which they're advancing is so much faster and <laughs> i don't want to sound crazy but maybe fear is a great motivator for technological advancement and that's why i never see any country still using the same military planes they were using 20 years ago they seem to be coming up with new planes almost every single year so I guess, you know, some sort of advancement in the way we're doing things right now in MedTech could help advance this industry. And on to our final point, point number three, the human aspect. What exactly am I talking about when I mention the human aspect? I'm talking about the value of human life and how it has changed in terms of legal terms over the last hundred years. And to do this, to get a better understanding, we're going to be looking at a few examples today. A few examples to show what people used to be able to get away with and what now they no longer can get away with. So first off, we're going to be talking about Dr. Henry Cotton. He was a psychiatrist. He was also the medical director of the New Jersey State Hospital in Trenton. And here he brought quite a new approach to how mental illness was looked upon because at the time, mental illness wasn't really understood and people used to think that it was probably bad genetics and anything that was eugenic related this guy came and said wait a second this is not eugenic related or genetic related but this is because of infection in the body so what he started doing was he started removing teeth several organs from people as a way to treat mental health and the guy basically lived his whole life as a hero despite the number of people that were harmed and this was in the 1920s and then fast forwarding to the 1940s during world war ii so during world war ii there was a lot of stuff that was happening during that time some people might try to say it was just because of the war others might feel that mm, maybe we weren't there yet in terms of the legalities of what you can do and what you can't do but one story that kind of stood out to me is um, a story of a research center called unit 731 and this was a prisoner war camp where soldiers from china had been captured by the japanese even though it was located in china it was basically japanese the things that happened here will shock some of your minds because they conducted experiments on how 
how people dealt with the cold so sometimes they would let you freeze in the snow to see how well your body could tolerate to the cold they did vivisections which basically meant they gave prisoners of war illnesses or diseases and then operated on them whilst they were still alive without any painkillers then they also tested some pathogens on people to see how they would work and this was even crazier because when they did this they conducted it doing what they call field tests which basically meant they threw pathogens over entire cities or villages to see how effective diseases were and the most shocking thing out of all of this was after japan fell when the americans came they basically gave all the doctors immunity if they exchanged all the information they'd gathered because the americans here felt that it was so important to get this information so they could use it for their future bio weapons basically so yeah that was pretty shocking so because of this there were several trials that were done in europe and in japan and in many parts of the world after the war had finished but one thing that came out of this was something that was called the nuremberg cod and this was the first time where they basically laid out a plan a set of rules as to what can be done in humans and what shouldn't and it was it wasn't legally binding but it was just a, a sort of framework that it started and then this led on to the declaration of helsinki and before we even got there, this was kind of reinforced by the Bill of Human Rights, which basically started to come as time went by. And the Declaration of Helsinki, that was that has basically seen several updates to it to stay relevant with the current technology that's going on, basically has about 37 ethical principles for medical research to sort of follow when they do research involving human beings. And then in 1996, the Convention on Human Rights and Biomedicine was established and this was and still remains the only legally binding document that's relevant to MedTech so this is really important. It's also known as the Oviedo Convention and this basically is a framework to protect the dignity and the identity of all human beings. So because of this history of mistreatment or human rights violations in terms of how people were previously handled and outside of the legal outframes, this has basically led to more of a sort of like a conservative approach from doctors, from medical tech corporations, from basically everyone involved because no one wants to get fined with lawsuits or reputational damage or risk prison time. So this means that doctors and most people have become sort of like slow in terms of how they adopt to new technologies. And recently the UK government released a document called medical technology strategy on the 3rd of february 2023 which was about just over two months ago and here they basically lay out a plan as to how they want to work with people to make sure that the devices that are on the nhs or the sort of healthcare service the national healthcare service is safe good it's effective it's working and all this is basically to try promote this industry and i hope that this episode today helped you understand or shed some light on why medtech is moving slower than other techs 